at two kinds of, of, of follow-up typically. Ones that say, hey, stop talking so much in your intro, get right to your topics. And then the other ones that say, hey, stop going to a topic. We just want to hear more about your life, Tony. <laughs> You're so interesting. You just make a Tony's Life podcast. Tony's life is so crazy. You want to hear him talk about it. Well, now that I got a song, I have to do it. You're listening to Leader FM, a weekly talk show for intelligent leaders and executive coaches reaching for the next level. Leader FM is hosted by executive coach Dr. Scott Francis and marketing media man Tony Creech. This episode of Leader FM is brought to you by Advanced Leadership Coaching and TheCreechLeague.com. This week on Leader FM, Dr. Scott and Tony chat about relationships with direct reports and the need for leaders to have strong relational IQs, or rather, EQs. Hello world, you're listening to episode 003. Dr. Scott and I are here and excited to talk leadership and we believe that you are ready for the next level. So let's dive in. It's so good to chat with you, Dr. Scott. Hey, Tony. Hey, thanks for joining me. You betcha. Good to be back here. Yeah, a lot of craziness happening this week. Storm outside. What a storm. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I should put uh, in like some fake thunder in the background because they can't hear it like we can. <laughs> Yeah, it's quite a storm. I know that yesterday, the town I live in got something like, I think I heard it was something like 80 millimeters. Wow. Yeah, it's wet around here. That sounds like a slogan for a car wash. (laughs) (laughs) So, a serious question for you. Okay, serious question. Uh, Have you seen the movie The Cable Guy? Uh, No. Jim Carrey? No. Uh, Wait. It has like the restaurant in it, Medieval Times. Medieval times where oh, people yeah, yeah. like ride horseback and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. It's a cool show. Well, uh, when I was down visiting my dad in the U.S. or the States, as Canadians call it. Down in the States. Uh, I found out that he, that medieval times is a real place and that my dad has been there and he had a picture of himself there with like a bunch of Chinese investors. At the same. Oh, really? At the yeah. same one that was in the movie. I'm not sure. It probably was because he went to the one. There's one in around the L.A. area. Okay. And I'm guessing that's where they filmed since, you know. I wonder what it is about medieval times and investors. They had they had that up here. They had one of those competitions at our last exhibition. Really? It was the coolest thing. <sighs> I, yeah. Like, I enjoyed I watching it. it way more than the bull riding. I missed it. It was really cool. And then you could go down afterwards and, um, you know, because you're supposed to run at each other with these jousting sticks or whatever they're called. Yeah, jousts. And and then you, you're trying to break them on the other guy. Mm-hmm. And and of course, there was like like toothpick size splinters and then like two by four size splinters. Wow. And everybody wanted to have a piece to take home. Wow. Yeah. Dad wouldn't let me that, leave the house you? until I could knock him off a horse with a stick. Um, so I went backpacking. Okay. In Saskatchewan. Do you know that's possible? I, well, you can. I don't know if you're going to see much. Well, it depends where you are. I don't mean the kind of backpacking we usually see like on the road on the side of the highway with a thumb out. out. (laughs) Uh, where'd you go? I went to Grasslands National Park. Oh yeah. Yeah. Have you ever been there? Yeah. Yes, I have. Yeah. It is actually amazing for backpacking. 
I didn't know you could like you just hike right through the canyon, through the wilderness, up buttes and stuff. Uh huh. So now, uh, who did you go backpacking with? Uh, I don't. I'm not sure. I don't know if we should really get into names here. Okay. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> uh, Tom McFarlane, just a friend. Okay. So uh, we, we had lunch the other day. You and I. It was a place where you knew the owner. Mm, and yeah. we were talking about how he's having a hard time keeping a manager. He's gone through, I can't remember how many, let's say three, because that sounds right, even though it's probably wrong, where servers, you know, sometimes they move up to be manager. Things happen, like maybe their best friends that were their peers become their direct reports and things get weird and and they leave. And, and the whole conversation was happening as me and Scott were kind of finishing up and kind of leaving. So we didn't get to have a great conversation about it. But... Um, it's one of those things that struck me because it's something that I wanted to talk to you about because I, it happens a lot with clients and it happens in all sorts of organizations where um, you have this problem with being the leader and how do they relate to their direct reports, especially when they used to be on the same level as them and they step up. I mean, I'm guessing that happens, that comes up all the time with executive coaching. Yeah, yeah, that often does. Now, to be, let's clarify. It's not a case that, the, that he's losing these people because um, he was doing anything to upset them or anything like that. Yeah. It's not that he knew. It was a case that they didn't like, the, these new managers did not like how it changed their relationship with the people who were previously their friends that they mm. now had to supervise. Yes, Right. And so that's like, that got us certainly thinking about a few things. I remember, um, I, I sat and, and chatted with another friend of mine who had just stepped into becoming the president of a college. Yeah. And, uh, he had the chance for about 10 years before that to mentor and work with the previous president. Mm. So it was definitely a case he knew what he was stepping into. It's mm. not like there was any kind of um, parts of the job description that he didn't know about. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I, not that I know of, would there be any, if you want to say, skeletons in the closet that were there to surprise him? Mm. So I asked him, this was about three months into his, his tenure, I asked him, it, what, what was there that maybe surprised him? Was there anything about the job that he was not uh, ready for or, or didn't realize was there. Mm. And I remember him saying he, he kind of, he kind of waxed a little bit eloquent and kind of got that, you know, that thousand mile stare for a few seconds. And he mm-hmm. said, you know what? I really, I did not anticipate how lonely the job would be. And then he went on to, to describe, mm. you know, how, how, what yeah. had happened was people, these other vice presidents and, and, uh, key executives in the, in the organization had been his best friends as well. Mm. You know, he'd be able to go for coffee and, and he'd be able to just, um, if they were talking about an issue, he was totally free to throw out a couple ideas, half baked ideas, you know, kind of spitball some things. Yeah. And he discovered very quickly when he became the president, he couldn't do that anymore because now his ideas and his thoughts and theories and whatnot, they carried a lot of weight. Mm. People just would assume that he'd thought deep about this and that, that this isn't just an idea. He was this actually like canon law. Yeah. Like he was speaking. This is what I want. The president says we're doing this. Exactly. Yeah. So he quickly learned that he had to kind of reel that in and he didn't, he didn't have anybody in his life at that point that he could, um, brainstorm with, um, things, things had changed. The other thing that he was saying is that the, his relationship with these people that had previously been his dear friends just took a natural 
progression because now he had to supervise them. Wow. And that's the same thing, you know, of course, with, with these uh, servers yeah. that are stepping up into manager roles. The challenge is when you were once really good friends with this person and now you have to be the one to call them for being late, mm. you know, or to, um, to deal with any kind of discipline or accountability or things like that. Um, it changes the dynamics of that relationship. Mm-hmm. And that can be uh, that can be the kind of thing that that uh, torpedoes a lot of uh, up and coming new leaders because they're not ready for that transition. It, that's like a frequent plot of television shows where there's like a, a group of equal friends and like one of them who's like a class clown gets given the whistle and gets put in charge and then they're really tough on everybody and then. People are like, oh, you've changed. And yeah. they're like, oh, I never should have tried to be in charge and bully <laughs> people around. Yeah. The whistle's not for me. And they hand it back at the end of the episode and everything resets like it does on sitcoms. Right. And then they're they're all friends again. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, in an organization, when you're hiring, I mean, hiring from the inside, that can be amazing in all sorts of ways. It's a culture fit, understanding the values of the organization, understanding direction and the goals. But it can be, it can be super hard, especially if you don't have a strong culture that prepares leaders, um, that helps them succeed at the highest level, but down to the lowest, lowest levels of management. There's a certain uh, assumed respect you get when it's, somebody else from the outside automatically from the inside, you have some barriers with all that awesomeness. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in this, um, we'll talk about this in other podcasts, but, um, there's, there's the, uh, self categorization theory, Mm. which says that you look around and you quickly categorize yourself in comparison to everybody else around you. Mm -hmm. And then you, you kind of, you set yourself in a strata unconsciously. And then you you live up to that standard of that strata. You walk into a room and uh, you look around and you you know you may unconsciously think I am more intelligent than that person and less intelligent than that person. So I'm kind of a middle of the road intelligent kind of person here. Or you do the same with good looks. You do the same with income. Mm-hmm. You do the same with power. Mm-hmm. And and you know many people who are of a more spiritual uh, kind of view feel that they don't do this. Or they think that it's you know inappropriate, but they do. Ironic thing is they just did it there when they say <laughs> that I'm more spiritual than the rest of you because I don't yeah, categorize I myself. Do that. Yeah, um, but it's it's just something that we naturally do, mm-hmm. and I think they're right though those spiritual folks in saying that oftentimes those categories stick us in a place that we never should have put ourselves. Mm. Um, you know, here's a pro tip for that um, that that I use is just I just. You just say to yourself and you realize I'm the best. (laughs) There's nobody better than me. So I don't even, I don't even need to acknowledge their one presence and two social standing because I'm better than them. (laughs) You works with clients. You're awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Clients love that. Don't they? Yeah. (laughs) I I should make like an irony sound for people that don't pick up on irony. Yeah. If they don't, if they can't tell you're joking. (laughs) So now here's, here's what happens. If you've self-categorized yourself yep. with the rest of your coworkers a certain way, mm. then somebody changes. Somebody else has been promoted. Uh-oh. Yeah, it can kind Especially of Especially when it's the dumb guy. It's hard. The <laughs> dumb guy? It's the, the dumb, dumb guy? The dumb guy God? The guy that comes in like, what? Yeah, exactly. We and never use those terms at work, do we? I hope uh, not. No. People do, for sure. Yeah, it does happen. You know, and it's at an unconscious level. 
if someone from a lower strata or from the same strata yes. gets promoted over you, mm-hmm. there is something that has to happen within you that says that the power differential has changed. And for a lot of a lot of um, social circles, when someone yeah. gets promoted, there's a they they will oftentimes unconsciously lash out at the person who was promoted. Yeah, which unfortunately is the opposite of what needs to happen. Like, really, if one of your buddies is starting to experience some success, we should be the ones cheering them on and getting all excited for them. Mm-hmm. But there's something within us that's kind of saying mm, no. When we also are categorizing ourselves mm. as part of that social group. And when we get promoted, we can struggle uh, to make the changes that need to happen when you've got all of a sudden more authority, more responsibility. Yeah. You have to, there needs to be a switch within ourselves unconsciously to step up to that new level. And a lot of people struggle there because the, the dynamics of the relationships need to change. Mm. I, to get over it, I just wear a big red cape. <laughs> and I look in the mirror a lot and Blue I realize, tight. no, you're at a different level now, Tony. You're Superman. <laughs> but you know, that that emotional, relational part of it all comes to bear even when you hire from the outside. Like you can be you can be brought in as fresh blood to change things and existing relationships that are already embedded in the organization where people have those understandings of themselves and their own roles. They can they can thwart changes where the organization needs changing, they can be there can be grudges you might not know about and you sometimes it's easy to see them, but easy to see doesn't mean easy to confront. Because mm-hmm. um, sometimes you can have an important crucial conversation where the only the only thing the other person is doing is trying to pick up ammo for some long war. <laughs> um, but I guess you know, but that idea of relationships. Uh, emotions, years served, all those things, they play a role in how things work out, whether from the inside or outside. And there's, there's negatives for both. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, within, within the relationship that you have with now, now let's say you, you've moved up to uh, a a director's role or, or just, let's just say the, the role has changed. And now you are, you have directs underneath you that previously were, your peers. Yes. There's going to be emotions involved in that. That relationship now has changed. You're going to have emotions, either good, bad, neutral, you know, but they're all going to affect your work outcomes. And I think if, if someone goes into it with an ideal kind of view that this shouldn't happen, we're all professionals. And so this isn't Mm going to be an issue. um, They're fooling themselves. This is, this is the real deal. This is the real world and the mess that's there. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to address them, but be mindful of them. Be uh, aware of how it's going to affect your own behavior and the people that you're trying to lead. And give it some time. It's going to take some time to work these things out, right? And people who don't even think they have emotions have emotions. <laughs> and they certainly trigger emotions in others. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's for sure. When you use systems like Berkman's and stuff that map out your teams, where everybody is at emotionally, psychologically, it helps you gel together because it helps you depersonalize all those problems. But I wanted to ask you, Scott, because I mean, this is something, again, we all of us come to and all of us have encountered this 
it's something that comes up even when I'm coaching people on marketing because sometimes people ask for things or they ask for a change and I can read them between the lines and hear that there's some thing going on. They're not giving me actual feedback or something. It's not about the color. It's about the guy's wife who told him choose the color or something or about some attachment to something and you have to diffuse it. But when most people bring this up to you, like what what's the question you hear between the lines from them? I'm guessing this comes up constantly, right? With yeah, coach- this this often comes up. <clears throat> like I, I'm often brought in to coach individuals that are in a new role. And quite often the you know, the question asked is, how can I get more productivity out of my people? Mm-hmm. Um and then when we start to drill down, quite often what's going on is it, it has to do with the relationships that they have with, with their directs underneath them. Mm. And uh, like, like, can do I want to be best friends with my directs? Yeah, that kind of thing, because they were before. Now that I'm not, do I shun them and wear a cape? <laughs> um, you know, I, I think this, this really gets at at the core uh, issues of, of what it is to be human, because so much of what it is to be human is, is this sense that, am I good enough? Am I loved? Uh, you know, and and um, for people, the further you go up in leadership, typically you've got people that are in the Myers-Briggs spectrum, more NTJ personality types. Yep. And uh, I was just, just meeting with one today <laughs> who, who happened, we, he used the phrase, the touchy-feely crap. <laughs> you know, and and that's that's a fairly um, statistically uh, statistically ENTJs tend to think that way a little bit more than others. Yeah, that that that's a touchy feely crap, but it is something that definitely needs to be there in relationships. Mm. When you move up from a place where you were peers and now you're not, the dynamic of that relationship now has power that it didn't before. Mm. You know, so it would be like suddenly somebody was, you know, you're, you're a group of people hanging out at, at, you know, a group of kids and suddenly the, uh, one of the parents shows up. Mm-hmm. It radically changes the way the conversations are and whatnot. And if you suddenly were the parent as opposed to the kids. Yeah, it'd be so different. Yeah, it, it, and it's no fun. Do I have to wear a Cosby sweater now? <laughs> and if I do, won't they think, man, he sold out? That that whole idea of like sellouts and man used to be so cool, but now you're the man, fear all that kind of stuff just can get a lot of people muddied up. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, it's I, th- I think about number one how when you manage people, they're all humans. <laughs> people are always humans, and therefore. It's always, there's a lot of relational stuff there. And there's an old old form of business that tried to kind of ignore that and pretend we could compartmentalize and come to work and not use emotions, but then go home and need emotions and need to be cared for and loved. And that's just, not, in today's business world, we've realized you can't do that. You can't just say, I'm task-oriented, and then ignore people's emotions. Yeah. At least if you if you really want to succeed. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, and like, that's the whole EQ movement, emotional quotient, uh, is is looking at how <clears throat> if you're able to manage your own emotions and the emotions of other people, you're going to get way further in life than you will if you're just, if you've got a high intelligence quotient, IQ. 
Mm, I sensed a little bit of anger in what you said. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> or is it the frog in my throat? <laughs> no, I, it's, have, I have a high EQ, so sometimes you don't realize you're feeling something until I tell you you felt it <laughs> because my EQ is so high. Those are always fun conversations. You're angry. Now I'm angry. Now I'm angry because you're telling me I'm angry. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I guess this is particularly hard when it comes to, and the second, that's the second thing I was going to get to is there's certain jobs, like a nonprofit job, or like if you're the Pope, you become Pope. Do all the other cardinals or, you know, whatever group it is, do they, are they, you know, there's, there's a lot of emotional energy. There's a lot of emotional stakes in those relationships. Mm-hmm. If you work for a nonprofit and you're there because you care about people, if you work at a soup kitchen or something, you're not there because you don't believe in humanity. You're there because of this love in your heart, however, you know, you want to define that and because of your humanness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and you get you, next thing you're head of the dish crew. <laughs> How do you handle that? Yeah. You know, I think um, for for the people who have been in leadership for a long time and have had uh, directs under them, this isn't going to come as a surprise. Yeah. <clears throat> so maybe like part of what this podcast is getting at is for people who are just stepping into a, a next level. Mm. Um, but it, I think part of it is just recognizing um, it's reframing so to speak, what you're doing as a supervisor. Um, yeah. Well, I was to say, I think this is very applicable no matter how long you've been managing because those dynamics are always there. And sometimes you don't see, because like so much of this is unconscious and it's around things of trust, buy-in, whether they feel you're warm, whether they feel safe around you, that it's all stuff you don't necessarily realize you're doing sometimes. Just like expectations, you don't realize, you, like it's something you can do a checkup on yourself. Where are my people at emotionally? Am I actually giving them what they need? So you want, you know, you're at the top and you've been there for a while, but you want to create an, a culture of training leaders in your organization. You know, that's why some some places, you know, like GM or Apple, they have their own universities, their own little mini schools, leadership schools inside their organizations. If you take that approach and you say, okay, even if you have the same direct reports, they're going to be getting new people. And you can be coaching them. I think you're right. Again, in also like things trickle down. Yeah. So if you get health at, at, at the top of an organizational chart, then that trickles down. So particularly if you are doing really good coaching at that top level, then it trickles down to, but it's so often it takes, I'm surprised when I've worked with organizations, it takes mm-hmm. a while. It, the, the top CEO really kind of gets it and it starts to go down to the uh, GMs and whatnot and then yep. into the, the VPs. But, but then, quite often, it just sticks there. It stops because there's this idea that that only in the top management do we do these kind of behaviors. Yeah, that brings up the relational quotient again. In this, in the sense of, uh, there are people that they when they get in leadership, it's like they hide the whistle in their pants, so to speak, like they or their pantsuit. They function out of fear, like they don't want to build into other people scared of that how high up the management chain where people are happy enough to be there to be afraid of losing it all uh, right and there's there's and maybe in each organization that's a different set point or a different line but i've definitely seen it i've seen people act differently and not as open but not to not in a way that was because they didn't know but is because they started hiding their cards at the exact time they should have been showing their cards well, I think it's this, this challenge here. Like, what is, the, what is the dynamic of the relationship that I'm having now with my directs underneath me? 
you know, are they my best friends? Do I show them? And I think there is, you know, it's, it's a tension that we have to, to walk here is mm. how much of my weaknesses do I show? Yeah. Um, because if you do show too much, you're right. They, they can use that against you, so to speak. Yeah. You know, depending on the nature of the relationship. Mm-hmm. Or it can, it can cause them to, um, it can give them permission to be weaker. Mm-hmm. Flip side of that, um, I, I really believe that not until you really know the weakness of your supervisor, do you really find yourself in a place where you can function effectively? Mm. Like I found that with most of my working experience under bosses, it wasn't until I knew exactly what their Achilles heels were that I could mitigate for it, you know, mm-hmm. and kind of protect them. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in, as in such a way, I could also then really serve the organization. Yeah. And it wasn't until so I knew like, that, but, but I had to find out they didn't just come straight out and tell me. Yeah. And, and there's a whole cultural tone to however you describe your issues. And part of that just flows out of, it flows directly from the leader. So like, you know, some people, their attitude is, hey, guess what? I'm terrible at administration. That's why I have an assistant. When your boss tells you that, that doesn't make him weaker to you. I mean, you can always play politics, but when you're busy playing politics, you're not, you're not growing. And so if you're encouraging a a culture of growth, and you can, you can begin that growth by helping everybody fit in. We talk about seats on the bus. Oh, I'm so tired of hearing seats on the bus. <laughs> That's a, it's a good way of thinking it, though. But and yet, how do you know who sits where on the bus unless you're t- fitting into each, other, each other's weaknesses? Yeah, yeah. And uh, like you're saying, um, there's, this, uh, the, there's a dimension of, do I, f- do I feel safe? Do I feel trust mm-hmm. from the employee to you? And sometimes sharing things can be a way of getting trust and authenticity. That doesn't mean you share your life story or your darkest secrets. You save those for a Reddit. <laughs> but you, uh, you know, that authenticity, your peers are going to be looking for that. Are you going to go yeah. up there and be like the static character from that TV show I mentioned where you're like, I never did anything wrong and I don't expect any of you guys to do anything wrong. And they're like, wait a minute, you used to do this and you used yeah, to do that yeah. and all your past haunts you. And I guess the the big question people are asking is, what's that line? Like, to what degree should you be safe? You know, um, like I think there's one piece of that. It's a great question. One piece of that is to just recognize, first of all, that when you are supervising people, yeah, you're not. If you're doing it well, you don't have to do it with a heavy hand. You know, kind of dictatorially. Um, in many respects, being someone's supervisor is a way of serving them. So servant leadership is a great way to look at this, but, but it's just simple enough just to step, step back and say, um, to not pick up the toxic uh, projections that people put on leaders. Mm. Um, leaders can be great by actually serving the people. And I've heard one, one individual says um, that a leader is the first line of support for people who actually have a real job. <laughs> so that's, I think that's a big piece of it. It's also recognizing that, that um, safety, being warm in your relationship with them, mm-hmm. um, is different with a friend than it is with a supervisor. Because a friend, the idea is I can say whatever the heck I want. Yep. And my friend is going to listen. And, you know, but with a supervisor, 
you're not an effective supervisor if they can say whatever the heck they want, you know, mm. and, and there are no consequences. Mm. Um, because you as a supervisor are the first line of consequences. There's a wrong way to talk to your boss, just like there's a wrong way to talk to your mom. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't make your boss like a bad guy. Yeah. So, and I, so should, I, should you be then, should you, are you, are you saying that, because we talked, we mentioned the servant leadership, which is kind of a big catchphrase right now, but are you saying then that you should always just be safe? No. Because I don't necessarily no, see no, that. Well, by safe, I like, you know, think of it like Aslan, you know, the lion from Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Yeah. I mean, one of my favorite lines there is that he's not a tame lion. And, you know, it, but he's good. He's good, but he's not tame. And I think that's the same with, with your supervisor. You want your supervisor to be good, mm-hmm. but not a pushover. You don't want somebody who doesn't like dish out consequences. Mm. Yeah, there should be consequences if I'm late. There should be consequences if I don't deliver what I promised that I would. So servant leadership then isn't like Michael Scott on The Office or just like, <laughs> I want everybody to be my bestest, bestest friend. <laughs> no, no. Not like that. Okay. No, I've never seen The Office. I think what, I've seen what? like one episode and then I tried to watch it again. It was the same episode. Sorry. Sorry. What did you say? My brain isn't computing. <laughs> I, did you say you bad. haven't seen The I mean, Office? The guy who hasn't watched much of The and Office. And you're an executive coach? How are you helping anybody then if you haven't seen these? <laughs> okay. That's my You new, have to watch the UK new version assignment. first. Okay, I'll watch it. David Bryant, brilliant character. And then you can watch the American version, Michael Scott, different, but also super brilliant character. I mean, my team, one of my teams one time called me Michael Scott, so I just started firing people. <laughs> but to, to give you a picture of this Michael Scott character, there's one episode where you just see him on the phone. Uh, you hear a lady's voice, and it's like his it's Michael Scott, this character's girlfriend at the time. And he's like, happy birthday. And then she's like, Michael, it's not my birthday. And then he says, oh, I, th- I thought we had the same birthdays. And then she's like, Oh, well, happy birthday, Michael. And Mike, and he's like, oh, thank you. <laughs> In terms Fishing of just this compliment. neediness yeah, just yeah, pouring yeah. off of him. <laughs> okay, I'm going to have to watch a few episodes. This neediness. And <clears throat> obviously, we're, I don't think you hear, I don't hear you talking about like needy. So, I mean, the answer then isn't being super needy, best As, friend kind yeah, of guy. Yeah. Yeah, if if you need the emotional support of your directs, there's a mismatch there. Yeah. Uh, so the whole neediness and leadership could be a big a big topic. Yeah, maybe for another podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we we've, we've talked about this before that yeah. you don't want to have a relationship with uh with someone in leadership that is um adult child. Yeah. You want it to be adult adult. So you want to really take care that you're not treating your your the people that are underneath you with a patronizing tone. Um, but at the same time, you don't want to be uh, equal on equal. Mm. Maybe you know you want you want to be the individual that holds uh, that holds carefully the authority and mm. the permission and and the uh, direction and shares it with the people that are underneath you. Like even the language that we're using, we've been using in this podcast here, mm. even as I've been using it, there's something within me that, that wrestles with it. Like we'll use terms like 
directs who are quote under you yeah right which which gives a impression that i am greater and you're lesser and so that's why i do like the servant leadership kind of theory on this is that that you're coming you as the leader are coming under them and supporting them Mm-hmm. lifting them up it, as opposed yeah, to lording over. It's a funnel over. flip, right? It flips yeah. it to where it's like actually the people higher up are just serving more. Most people haven't really gone deep into servant leadership. There's a whole uh, constellation of, of theories and thoughts around it and we'll definitely bring that into another podcast. Mm, save that for later. Yeah. So, but um, you're getting into the thing though. What, what do you want to have though? So if we were to give any kind of recommendations on, on the kind of relationship you want to have with the people that are, that are quote under you or that you are coming to serve. Um, I think for sure you really want to make sure that you've got accountability there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that is your job with that individual is to, to, to be keeping them accountable for the work that they're doing, that they've promised to deliver and they're going to deliver. And it's not necessarily a sexy thing to do that. You know, it's not popular necessarily, but it's what people expect in a supervisor and you serve them by giving them those kind of parameters. I see this messed up on every link of the chain because depending on your relationship with your boss, your relationship with your direct reports is different. Like some people, whether they're the CEO or they're just an executive or something, they feel like they can't fire somebody underneath them when needed. They might be think, well, the board wouldn't let me fire this guy. But that happens everywhere on the chain, not just lower down. That affects how you think about yourself, how you manage them, your relationship with them. And there are people that are they're good at picking up where they stand and they know they're in that spot of non-destruction. Yeah. When Apple uh, CEO Tim Cook ousted Scott Forstall, who is in charge of iOS, when the iPhone is the number one moneymaker in the company, like by itself, bigger than so many other companies, bigger than Microsoft by itself. Even at that time, now it's way bigger than Microsoft, but even at that time, it was bigger than Microsoft, just the revenues from iPhone alone. And Scott Forstall, who was head of iOS and one of Steve Jobs' top deputies, Tim Cook, now he's the one in charge. He gets rid of him. And that's a signal. In a way, that's a signal that he's not afraid, that he's not, he doesn't need to keep people around because, oh, isn't he in charge of the golden goose and stuff? And it's, it's a signal of his, that his leadership is good, that he's going to hold people accountable for things. And he had things that we don't know. There's a lot we don't know about it. Yeah. And so, um, you know, publicly it had to do with maps and, and uh, unwillingness to, say sorry publicly for messing up on the Apple Maps launch and stuff and who knows what the truth is and so I don't bring it up as a this is the truth I bring it up as just a, a an example that could be allegorical I mean an allegorical it could be apocryphal <laughs> um, I'm learning words as we go English well English is like my third language like my first language is love <laughs> <laughs> As a leader in that in managing that relationship, understand that you holding them accountable. This is one of the biggest pieces of the pie of the things you need to be doing. Yeah, and it's where the challenge can be because because you don't necessarily want to do that because there is tension in that moment. Mm. Accountability is a tough one, and 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 if there's the first place people want to just kind of shirk their responsibilities is right here. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, 
I think another thing, though, is is to also recognize that it is your place to have a relationship with this individual. But I think I think a mistake that not a lot, but some make is to say I am the boss now, and you're just the little ones under me. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we're trying to do is just get this stuff done. And we fail to value how important the relationship is. Mm. It just turns into task. And yeah. particularly task-oriented people can do this. Now, of course, you can be too far on the other side where it's just relationship-oriented and the task is falling down. Um, but I get, again, recognizing that, that not only you keep them accountable to get the stuff done, but you, it's your responsibility to also try and develop as warm a relationship as possible. Now, that does not mean, it doesn't mean that you're going to be having touchy-feely times where you're really getting at the root cause of deep hurts their, and all that kind of stuff. Their father's yeah. ranch yeah. and, yeah. The, you know, losing does, the wheelbarrow It doesn't have something. to be. It doesn't have to be. I mean, there may be some relationships that do get really deep like that, but there are certain lines that you need to keep. And I think a big one there is to say, this is a warm relationship, mm. but it's not... A relationship where either of us, um, or sorry, where we mutually air our dirty laundry together mm-hmm. and and um, you know vent about our other bosses and it's, so, it's, let me it's ask, not a wide let me, open. Let me ask you, press you on that for to get mm. a little bit more defined. What does that mean in terms of practices? What are the sorts of things that warm bosses do? My guess is that there's a certain series of of listeners out there that are somewhat even actually um they find it distasteful you know like like you know you'd rather drink cold or hot but warm you just want to spew out you know and some some of my friends that are women uh they have a hard time with this they've they've said they've told me that the tone they choose to strike feels they at least sense that that it's absolutely critical that if they come across too warm, that it's like they it's like they feel their power get sucked away. That they're too you know there's too emotional or all these misogynistic things that people have put on women to say that they're mommies and warm and, and that sense right. of like they can't be tough and so they are extra tough and then nobody wants to go to yeah. talk to the woman executive because you know she's going to be harder than anybody else because she's kind of overcompensating kind right. of thing. That'd be a great another great podcast topic. Oh, which yeah, is, we got you know a good how, leader on here. Yeah, you can teach us males a few things well you've got i mean you get the challenge of, of that most of our male dominated uh, organizational structures have a style of leadership that was far more task oriented um far more driven yeah. um you know which which has a little bit more of the testosterone kind of feel to it yeah. uh, where so what happened is nurturing uh got if you want to call it this wussy rap attached to it which is totally uh, unfortunate because it's through a nurturing relationship that quite often that's where some of the best growth happens. Yeah. And that's why it's, it can be sad when women leaders feel like they don't have, they they can't show a nurturing side to themselves. Otherwise it feels like they're losing their bossness. When I think yeah. at the core at a, as a manager, as a, as somebody who has a direct report, you are to be a nurturer, to be building them building them up like nurture is uh, we use that's kind of a paternal kind of like parent sounding term but you're really building yeah you're a builder building into this individual supporting from underneath so that would be another if you want to say uh piece that i think is critical if it's another 
maybe smaller piece of the pie, but a major, major important thing to have is that you are um, building into this person greater capacity. See, I like that better because it's not a label. It's an, are you doing this? Are you actively building? Not have you built into them, but are you building into them? Right. First of all, one of the biggest recommendations is that you, that if you're not doing this, you got to start. Okay. I won't do this too often in my podcast, but in this one here, <laughs> I would say this. If you're not having a regular weekly one-on-one meeting mm. with your directs, there's, yep. there's a real piece missing there. Uh, at least a half hour once a week. If you can't do once a week because you have too many directs or your schedule is all off, at least every two weeks. And if you can't do that, there is a major problem and you need to reshuffle things. Mm-hmm. Your people have to have access to you in a, in a regular meeting. You know, they it's know the they're connected. being you. It's the one-on-one, the whole point of you being you yeah. and not having their job. Yeah. Now, some people make the argument that we have, like, I'm always talking with my people. I meet them at the water cooler. We talk over coffee. The reality is in those situations, they're, they're not, um, what would be the word? That you, so you create a sense of it's okay to talk about things right now. Yeah, now is the moment. That's part of its environment, parts of you creating it with them, part of that is their willingness to enter it. But you have to create that environment, otherwise you never know what's really going on. Yeah. They're not going to say, they're not going to bring something up over the water cooler. And, and especially if there's other people around. It has to be, it has to be a regular situation where it, they, they have that freedom to talk about something uh, that no one else is listening in on. One-on-ones because it's a trust thing. And that's only that you can have that in groups, but like in per, it's person to person when oh. you're the, when they're your direct reports. And in that one-on-one, my recommendation is that there is some space for them to talk about what is important to them. And it can be anything, you know, maybe they're really, they're jazzed up about their daughter's uh, piano recital, or maybe it's, you know, the, what is going on in their area and they're really concerned about a safety issue mm-hmm. or whatever, whatever that yeah. little piece is or big piece in their mind. That's kind of, that has Thing them concerned or okay. excited or whatever is jazzing their emotions mm. that you plug into that as well. It doesn't have to be for very long, five minutes, you know, maybe talking about, so what's going on or, you know, maybe in last week's, they were talking about the recital. You could ask about, Hey, how was your daughter's recital? What, how do things go? But whatever that is that, that, I mean, these, these are your directs. You don't have too many of them. And, and you, do you, you mean like a time when, where it's, it's on the agenda. It's only to have space for the conversation, not this is to get to something else. Yeah. It's time in the agenda where you're just connecting emotionally with whatever is excites them or concerns them emotional Pete or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like if their mom is, is wrestling with a a life threatening illness, this is the place where you can touch on that, address it, you know, share some concern and whatnot. Cause if you're the kind of boss who never has that conversation with somebody, you can really turn uh, you, you can appear to be cold. Even if on the inside, you're thinking, you, yeah. you feel really bad for them, you got to actually say it. Because there, there are definitely definite relationships in job situations where it feels like the only time you talk about that stuff is as, as that 
fakey sandwichy crap when they want to talk to you about something. So they invite you into their office and they're like, how are things at home? And yeah. it's, but, but all you want to say is, what do you really want to talk to me about? You're right, right now. You're being really nice. Like you care about my family. So you're obviously going to say something harsh to me. And they say, <laughs> yeah. you suck. Yeah. And then they sandwich you to the end with a hope your wife feels better. Don't tell me my wife. It's not like that. Like sandwiching works for a specific good things about a project, bad things about the project, then good things. You know, it's not like a, you don't use the family stuff in your sandwich. It just makes it all fake. You want to be as, as authentically sincere, like even in your own mind, flip that switch that says, I actually really care about this individual and what, what jazzes them up. Even if they're talking about something that is ridiculously boring, mm -hmm. um, like they collect something that you think is ridiculous. I could name something here, but I'm sure there's yeah. listeners out there that would say that's yeah. what, you know, so let's say you collect gravel, gravel excites you. Yeah. Okay. Look at this little piece of aggregate here. Rocks, but really small. Yeah. It's so exciting. So anyways, they, they're so excited about gravel and you know, I think it, it, the same way that we do it with our children, when my boy brings something to me that I just, that isn't interesting to me, mm -hmm. but he's totally interested in it. I am excited because he's interested in something. Mm. And I'm so let me, can I be a devil's advocate here? Go for it. So what do you say then? So why would I do that? If I'm the unemotional guy, I'm here to get a task. We got to make like a thousand plastic bags an hour. However, our factory works. Why do you want me to go to all touchy Philly every like once a week with like one of my direct reports? They just got to do their jobs, push the buttons on the machines. Like, yeah. What do, I don't get why, why do I need to do this? What's yeah. Well, and, and you might even have the argument. This is, this is wasting company time. I'm getting paid big money. You know, if I do this with every one of my directs, if I spend 15 minutes a week with every one of my directs, let's say I've got seven directs, that's a lot of time that's being wasted. Yeah. Now, wasted, you can put in air quotes again. Because, because if you could peer inside their mind, I just went to the movie Inside Out last mm, night, and yeah. it was really cool. You know, I'm sitting there with my kids, and they're kind of being taught psychology, you know, <laughs> and, and about, about what's going on inside of a person's mind. Yeah. Really cool movie. You're little cool people in your head. Yeah, little people that are experiencing the emotions of what's happening. Um, what you're getting by spending that time connecting with your direct is a relationship that has a lot more buy-in and um, spare change and connection than you would if you just kept it uh, around tasks. And as a manager, their psychological well-being yeah. is part of the bandwidth. That's part of your responsibility. If they were to quit, you know what it is? It's like most people don't quit a crappy job. They quit a crappy boss. That so often happens. And, and a lot yep. of times it's because they just had this unconscious sense that the boss didn't care. Now, the cost of losing one of your people is significant. We've talked about that yeah, already. It, you know? it, it, it's a real cost. It's not some culture cost. It's an actual monetary cost as well. Mm -hmm. But you also have opportunities when, like when they might, their engagement might be at, say, a 60% or a mm -hmm. 70%. When you, when you spend this kind of time with them, their engagement percentage might go up by 10% or something like that. And, and that is a real significant return on investment. And when you say engage, you mean their connectedness to what the company wants, direction and like meaning their productivity, but not just productivity, you mean wider, like they have an ownership on the productivity. Yeah, some, somewhat of that. Yeah, I think more they, 
when when they feel that you're connecting to them emotionally, mm-hmm. there that's often reciprocated. How do I get this to happen in my marriage? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know I know a good therapist. Going to be honest with you, this is one of those things when I look back on my own leadership. Um, I know that there is some of the listeners uh, are people that have worked for me. And it's one of those things um, I wish I had done more of this. I wish I had had a lot more regular. I, I, this is something that I, I learned later in life to have a regular one-on-one. And boy, there are some of, I'm even apologizing to some of those dear people out there that I led <laughs> um, that uh, never got that from me. And I'm sorry for that. Cause it's gotta I, be like the curse of well, becoming a PhD in leadership when you've been a leader and you have so much experience leading others the whole time you go, you go deeper and deeper. You're just, it's like, Oh no, yeah. what did I do? Yeah. Yeah. For almost every single epiphany that I had, I also had one of those, you know, Homer Simpson's don't, Oh, well. if I had only known, <laughs> you know, I would have, yeah. <laughs> Every week, we try to get you a related resource that to take you deeper, or even just a cool tool you can try out. And this week, uh, I think it's Scott's pick. So, Scott, what do you have for us? The idea of of um, leading differently with an individual, depending on where they are. Okay, so it's situational leadership is the model, and probably the easiest way you can find you can you can Google it. Um, and there's some graphics out there. Uh, the the key book that you want to look at is Management of Organizational Behavior. Mm. That's the more expensive one. Um, you can probably find some similar ones. Uh, it was in some of uh, Blanchard's books about the one-minute manager, uh, leadership in the one-minute manager and whatnot. But um, that's what I would recommend. It's just checking it out. Google it or check it out on, on um, Wikipedia. And uh, doesn't... Uh, Hersey also have a book called like the situation. Yes. Leader sorry. Thank you. Yes. Hersey uh, and Blanchard were the ones who first came up with it. Um, I guess I was just quoting Blanchard there, wasn't I? But it's okay. Um, so you're saying Google situational leadership, well, situational leadership. In, but those, that book. Uh, Management of organizational behavior. Yes. That's going to be your deeper one, your deeper dive if you want. Yeah. And it gets into this, this concept. Um, it's, a, it's a model that's well worth having in your back pocket as you're moving forward in leadership. There you are. There's your Good resource. resource. Huh. Sweet. I love it. I'm, I just eat up models. I love them <laughs> so much. You used to call me model kid. Model I'm kid? Young. No. <laughs> Let's sum up together what we've been chatting about. Okay. See if we're both hearing each other well. Hmm. We talked a little bit about this idea of just that there's an emotional component because you're because you're leading humans, and to number one, be aware that there is an emotional component, and that sometimes when people move into a management role, like a a server becomes the manager, that person sometimes can even quit their job because of that breaking that weird change of moving from being best friends and peers with all the other servers to being the one who needs to be in charge and needs to tell people when they, you know, yeah, it will, it will change. It will Um, change. And you got to be ready for that. And, and I think even grieve it a little bit so that you can move on, but then get excited about what's going to come. You're going to make some new friends and some new challenges. And we need that as humans. We need to be constantly feeling like we're progressing. We talked about, 
the idea of the relationship should be warm. It should be accountable. Mm. It should be a trust building. It should be a building relationship where you're building them and supporting them. Mm. It should be a servant relationship where you realize that by being their boss and then having them report to you, you are actually going beneath them to support them. It's it's only the people that are only able to perform well are people that have bosses that have really dug in underneath them to make sure they have the support they need to do those wonderful things they love doing with their lives. And also that sense of regular Yes. Um, regularness, the one-on-ones, yep. again, can't hit that harder because even when you have your one-on-ones, man, I've had them be irregular by people that believe in them because mm-hmm. work throws a million curveballs at yeah. you. And sometimes issues appear to be the problem, but one-on-ones are one of those things that if you don't keep them going, you start to lose even a little bit of connection. Those issues hurt way worse. I felt that you you feel you know yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure yeah. you felt that. Well, I think another thing about one on ones, like if you have them regular, then you know I don't have to talk to my boss about this one issue right now because I'm going to talk about it in my one on one on Tuesday. So you get you may think this is going to take me forever to go through all these one on ones with my staff, but they're not bringing you all these little things all throughout the week, and so you end up being further ahead. Time-wise. Yeah, you you do. And I think that relates to what we talked about last time with the ICS, the Incident Command System. Uh, When when that system, there's a rule about how many people can be underneath you. And I know places that have way too many people underneath managers. Sometimes that happens in like computer programming and and in, you know, uh, any kind of software development because... I, sometimes they just, you know, you cram more people, you have a good manager, you yeah. keep stuffing people underneath them, but then they don't become that good of a manager anymore. I think ICS is seven. Seven is you, the max. I think you mentioned seven when you spoke about it earlier, because I think maybe that's kind of stuck in your head as like a max number. Yeah. That, that when you get beyond seven, well, do you have, how much add up 15 minutes times seven? That's, that's a lot of your week. Yep. And it's gonna, but it's, it, it salts fires. And if you do the solving fires time, then you're doing less times yeah. putting out fires. Yeah. See how we're going? We're bringing it back again, Scott, from that last episode. About, <laughs> about fires. Now, one thing I should just mention this. Um, we didn't get too much into what you should be doing during the one-on-one. I just touched on in the one-on-one that you have space for some emotional connection there. There are other things. We'll talk about that in other podcasts. So the one-on-one is not just a time to get connected. Then you also spend some time oh, talking yeah. about what you what you need done <laughs> at the job. And now I'm gonna I'm gonna cut off our summary there, but I do want to bring up the word self categorization theory again. Self categorization theory, yes. Because that idea of understanding that we are constantly putting ourselves in a category compared to others mm-hmm. is critical for our ability to gain that self viewing. That uh, I like to think of it as the status instinct. Just have that natural instinct to put ourselves in a status or in a tier. And um, we may evolve out of that, but I think it is just so hardwired within us that we just are always doing that. And once we've once we've unconsciously put ourselves there, it becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy. We behave like we're at that level and it keeps us at that level. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us this week. You can find Scott at advancedleadership.biz or at leaderadvance on Twitter. I am at the Creech on Twitter, and you can find me at thecreechleague.com. Please send in all your comments, questions, and stories to leader.fm. You'll see the contact form there. 
If you like the show, please rate us on iTunes. We already have seen some, um, but we need more ratings before we can really uh, categorize ourselves. <laughs> As a podcast. Yeah. Uh, thanks for sharing the love and, and sharing the podcast with others. Uh, and thank you, Dr. Scott, for joining me. Thank you, Tony. It was good to spend time with you again. It was a ball. And I'd say this to all our listeners. How are you going to leverage this knowledge about engaging your directs to advance your leadership this week?